You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two punts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today we've got um, a great guy on the podcast, Stuart Little. Welcome, Stuart. Hi, Holly. How you doing? Very well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, yeah, fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, really good. Brilliant. So for those of you who don't know, Stewie's been a um, professional golfer since 1985. He's an ex-European tour player for many years. He now plays on the seniors tour. Um, he's, um, yeah, done done a lot in the game and now sort of turn your hand a bit to a bit of coaching as well. So yeah, I've been teaching now for what, 10 years. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to getting into this today. And we're going to like we're <laughs> going to talk about you. We're going to talk about who you've played with, some funny stories. And then go into like your coaching philosophies, uh, Stu. So yeah, really excited and thank you for joining. Oh no, at all. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, that's great. We're very fortunate to have you in, in our county as well. We're in the same county, Gloucestershire. Indeed we are. The best. <laughs> well, aren't we county champions? Are we, are we, where, 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 did, where did the first team finish last year? Were they, were they county champions? Were they national think- county champions? I think so. Yeah, they normally uh, normally do pretty well, mm. don't they? So, well, uh, we've got some great players, that's for sure. Hundred percent, and you. I'm sure many more in the pipeline. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, Stu, talk us through a little bit through your career. Give us the, you know, where where it started. Why did you even start playing golf, and then going into? I know, you know, all all good pros spend at least three years at Lillybrook. Yes, so, that's uh, true. Yeah, true true story. Um, so yeah, talk us through your uh, your uh, career. What where I started and how yeah, it just, started. Just give us like a bit of an overview. Okay, well, um, uh, very very briefly and very quickly, um, um, I was born and raised in in Essex for the first four years, and and then family moved down to Gloucestershire, nineteen seventy one. Um, my grandfather was a was a hoarder, and he had probably one thing of just about everything you could possibly imagine and in his garage he had some golf clubs um no left-handed ones but what he did have is he had a uh, like a double-sided putter nothing fancy nothing recognizable in in terms of its quality and um used to walk the dog on the common so i used to tag along and we used to take the golf clubs um no tee pegs so we would hit golf balls off dry cow pads. <laughs> so you get a really dry cow pat about so high, put the ball on with the double-sided putter and then just hit it. So that was how I started. Um, probably at the age of about five or six, we used to mess around. And then um, I wanted to get some golf clubs. Um, so I bought some golf clubs with my Christmas money one year. And then just where we were living, opposite to where I am now, um, there was a big field. I used to hop over the fence, literally hop over the fence from the, from the house, which was 20 yards, into the field. And there was a tree stump and a telegraph pole, which is probably about 100 yards. And at the age of sort of nine or 10, if I could hit my seven iron, nearly those 100 yards, that was just, that was amazing. It felt like I was seven iron at about 170, 180 today that's what it felt like so and it, it just really escalated from there I um you know I was I was the youngest of three boys 
So I used to tag along with my older brothers to cricket and football. We're a very sporting family, but always had this passion, desire, uh, enjoyment of, of playing golf, which was strange because completely alien to my, my parents, my father. Um, but it just kept going. And I joined Minchinhampton Old Course in 78. Um, and then the very next year, I, I joined the new course uh, in, in 79. And that was it. I was, I was off. So I, um, I pretty much stopped playing all other sports, which was, you know, I was reasonably good at football, um, crickets, and um, which came as a bit of a surprise to my, my dad, because that was very much the, the, the sports in the family, football and cricket. And it, it, it just really went from there. And um, I think I was exceptionally lucky that certainly then, and I think still now, that Minchin Hampton, very, very open, very friendly, very encouraging towards juniors. And, and, and 79 through to sort of 83, 84 developed very quickly with a lot of encouragement and guidance from, from, from the club and certain members. So that, that, was, that was me. Brilliant. Um, you know, professional golf was never on the radar, to be perfectly honest. Um, I left school and I knew that I wanted to be working outside. I, I was very undecided as to what I wanted to do. Um, got into greenkeeping and I was just about to take my second year exams, 1985. And then Chris approached me to, to work in the shop because I'd done quite a lot of caddying for Chris through the sort of summer holidays okay of 83 84 um 85 and um you know he was very supportive and, and, and encouraging in that aspect so I think sort of possibly that was the catalyst maybe for him asking me I don't really know I've never really asked him why he asked me to be honest and you'll have to ask him yeah well maybe maybe <laughs> I, you know it, it was but yeah, so I was approached uh, by Chris in 85. Would I be interested in working in the shop? And my parents were a little bit concerned. Play golf for a living? I mean, can you possibly imagine? That's no job. Um, <laughs> so um, after Chris came around, I had a meeting with my parents. They were quite happy knowing that there was some direction in those days. Very different to what it is now with the qualifications and, and how it's viewed. Um, so yeah, joined Chris in 80, 85 and as I said, the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> so, so were you, um, like, did you get, you know, good pretty quick then? Were you like, did you go through the amateur ranks before you, or not really? Was it just Well, like you know, for, for someone who's played on the European tour and nearly 200 events on the European tour, I never played a county seconds match. Wow. Never played for the county. Um, and, you know, I, I, I learned my trade, really, I suppose, my profession through, through playing golf and playing tournaments as, as, as a pro. Um, I just enjoyed it. It was very passionate and, and I was very passionate about it. And, um, you know, I think that when, when you're passionate, you, you ride those peaks and troughs because you know that you're going to get them 
Yeah, you know that. I mean, it's it, it, it's just the nature of the game. Peaks and troughs are going to be there every season. So it didn't really matter. Obviously, very disappointing when you perform indifferently, stroke badly, but you just get on with it. And um, that's that's pretty much me. And I was very lucky. I won in '86. Um, I won the West Region PGA Championship, Brilliant. and that was probably the the catalyst. I would say. Okay. Um, for really going forwards from there. Um, because in those days, 86, there was no satellite tours, there was no challenge tour, there's no Alps tour, there's no Euro Pro. You either played in the region or you played on the European tour. Wow. Or you played in a overseas winter tour. So like the Sunshine Circuit or the Safari Circuit, or you went to Australia. So it was very basic PGA golf, European tour, and a winter tour. No, I think I think the challenge tour, satellite tour, as it was called, I think came into came into play. I think it was 1989. Okay. So 89 onwards, they had started to have these these smaller tours in Europe anyway. Okay. And then from there, things like the Alps tour, you know, Hippo tour as it was then, uh Housen, I think, maybe got involved. And then you've got the Euro Pro and you've got all these tours now, which is fantastic because um, it gives the players an opportunity to, to go out there and experience and cut their teeth. But, I mean, those tours are tough. I mean, you know, you've got to play well to, to make them financially viable. You know, they're tough. It's a tough breeding ground, that's for sure. Definitely is, isn't it? There's, there's so many good golfers out there, not that there wasn't in your day, but, the um, yeah, I think it is tough, and, you know, to make money on them is very difficult. But uh, yeah. Well, I think... Yeah, you're absolutely right. To make money is difficult, but I think if you can if you can get into the mindset of what that tour is about, I mean, if, if you're going to go and play, let's just say the Euro Pro, you know, your objective is to is to obviously try and get to that exemption stage, isn't it? Sure. Um, and we know that you know pro rata for expenses against financial rewards coming back, it it, it is tough, and that's probably important to have a form of sponsorship um i think you really got to go into it with a really good business plan over a two three four year period as much as you can financially to give you that opportunity to cut your teeth learn your learn your trade and and, and, and get to that that end result um you know in my day um well it was simple you played in the region you went to tour school hmm. and if you didn't succeed in either of those if you were lucky enough you might have gone to south africa which i did in 1987 um and that that really was the catalyst for me pursuing my my playing career so i played sunshine circuit in 87 88 went down with a very good friend of mine peter evans from royal Porth call and i nice thought job. wow yeah wow this is this is this is great um and and sort of yeah Things, things sort of progress from there. So what, what year did you get your tour card? Uh, 91 for the 92 season. Brilliant. And how was that first season out on tour for you, all of a sudden going from Minch to, to being on tour with all these big guys? Daunting. Um, <laughs> daunting and, and, and also... Um, 
yeah, I mean, there, there I was at, at the tender age of, of 24, suddenly walking the fairways with all these idols and people I was or had watched on TV for, for the past 10, 15 years. So it was, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, daunting to a degree. I mean, very much the new boy on the block and trying to find your, find your way. I were think they friendly or were like were people friendly or were they like some of them like you know quite, quite not quite so no I, I, no I, without question it, it's a very very friendly environment I think I think it, it comes down to personality I'm, I'm pretty shy type of guy to be perfectly honest I'm not one that's going to go out of his way to to really cut and thrust um, so in that sense you 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 tend to gravitate to to where you feel comfortable. Um, and but no no it's, it's not it's not hostile it's, it's not unfriendly it's it's nothing like that at all I mean John Daly who I've played with on three occasions um <laughs> the last occasion said European tour is the best tour in the world hmm. he said if you take away the money he says the best tour in the world by a million miles it's so friendly no it's good. so friendly so no it, it, it wasn't that and I, I think it's just that um it's such a contrast of where I was to to where I was going. You know, you're you're playing regional golf, and then suddenly you're you're right on that that big stage. It's a big step, isn't it? Oh, it's massive, absolutely massive. And I and and you know, if if you if you looked at if you looked at all the amateur players now that are coming through the ranks, I mean, they they are so well prepared so well prepared i mean they've got probably some of the best coaches they can work with dietitians psychologists you know they've got everything in place so when they join the tour they're running you know they're they're already running it, it's nothing unfamiliar to them because it's something they've been doing through the amateur ranks for the past three or four or five years if they're lucky you know if you get into the england squad i mean what they provide and what they give you as a as a an expansive knowledge is is phenomenal. I mean, what did I have? I had Minch Hampton Golf Club, and whatever I picked up from playing regionally and with some good players. So when you think about it, I played regional golf for 1986, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. And I had 87, 89, 90, 91, 92. So I had four seasons in South Africa, more on an international circuit. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of learning my trade, suck it and see, rather than this sort of directive ability that a lot of the amateurs have now. If you get into the England squad, it's, it's phenomenal, which is great because you're out there and you're ready to run, which is good. Were you a party animal back in those days, Stu, or have you always been... Um, well, uh, was I a party animal? Um, Were you like, you know, a 22-year-old lad, you're 24-year-old, living the dream, out on the beers? Or you... Well, I, I, think, I think the thing is, is that, um, I mean, the tour then, compared to what it is now, is very different. It's a completely different, um, it's a different vehicle altogether. Um, European tour in the 80s and the 90s, um, early 2000s, I think, was a pretty social environment. 
Um, mm. Do you go out on the lash every night? No, of course you don't. Um, but I think that if you looked at tour life now compared to, say, when I joined in 91, 92, it would be massively different. Yeah. It really would in every aspect. I mean, when I joined, we didn't have courtesy cars. Um, we didn't have players' lounges. Um, if you looked at a prize fund, you know, we were, we were playing some tournaments on the European tour for like three, four, five hundred thousand pounds. That's first prize now. I mean, people don't even pitch up for a first prize of five hundred thousand. No. Um, and if you if you look at, I mean, ninety two, I think I finished one forty two on the order of merit when it was one twenty five numbers to or or people to be exempt. Okay. And I think the exemption figure was about fifty thousand pounds to retain your card. Yeah. And then. If you looked at 92 to when I came back out second time round in 2002, so 10 years, and we, of course we'd gone through that Tiger Woods transition yeah. period where he joined the, the tour. Um, I mean, to retain your card in, in, in 2002 was 180,000. So it gone up nearly fourfold in 10 years through yeah. the Tiger Woods effect. Do you, uh, would you say you owe him, you know, uh, 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 certainly a pat? Well, every, everybody owes Tiger. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, I've heard, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of uh, pros say that. And I think no that, question. No question. I mean, I mean, Tiger from a worldwide phenomenon is just, you can't really, well, you could put it into words, but the list would be too long. So I won't bother to go there. Um, <laughs> I mean, Sevi had that impact in Europe. Of course he did. Um, but I mean, Tiger, I can remember chatting to Steve Elkinson in, in, in 1997. Um, well, it might have been 96 because Tiger came on the scene in 97, didn't he? He won it in, two, in 97, didn't he? His yeah, so it must have been 96. And Elk was saying that, <clears throat> he said, oh, gee, I can't wait for next year. He said, it's going to be amazing. I said, what do you mean amazing? He said, well, the price funds are just going to go through the roof in the States. So what do you mean? He said, well, Tiger's turning pro. All the deals have been signed. And, and, and sure enough, I mean, if you look at the, the sort of prize funds from 95, 96, and then 97, 98, and, and onwards, it's just, it's just gone through the roof. I mean, golf has gone through the roof. You only got to see that in Europe, 92 to 2002. Retaining card 50,000 to 180,000. It's phenomenal. Um, Unfortunately, in, in 2002, I was, I, was that, I was the person that missed that by one spot. Oh, so, no. Yeah, to retain my card. But, um, I mean, the, the, I think the importance of that, I say the importance, is it important? Of, it, of course it is, money, um, is that, you know, 92 of you were, say, finishing, let's say you finished 126 when it was a 125 exemption, I mean, you're making peanuts, absolute peanuts. Mm. You know, fifty thousand pounds or fifty-five thousand pounds worth of prize money against what you were spending. Whereas, if you look at two thousand and two hundred eighty thousand against what you were spending, massive difference, mm. massive difference. And this is why, 
you know, when I when I look back in those early days, it was it was pure passion, passion to play, passion to to want to be out there. It just keeps you going. Maybe a bit detrimental, but you know, what, and, it, and that's hard to. What do you mean by that detrimental, Stu? Well, I mean, it, it, you know, it's just um, you know when you look back, I, I yeah, it doesn't really matter to be honest. I mean, I know that. I wouldn't have changed. I would have kept doing what I was doing because of what I wanted to do and probably what I wanted to try and be. You know, it was a passion. It was mm. all-consuming and, and in some ways still is. You know, I think it's... Did you actually, I mean, changing the subject completely, did you watch Bear Grylls and Johnny Wilkinson last night? I recorded it. Fascinating. You've got to watch it. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, I'll uh, have to watch it. Summarises, I think, so much of these great geniuses. Um, It was very, very, very interesting. You know, it it does become all-consuming and and, um, passion. It's like a drug. Compulsiveness, yeah. It's compulsive. I've I've got to do it, you know. It's... And, and trying to get, you know, some of the youngsters to, you know, to, to, under, to try and at least understand that is, of course, it's difficult, um, but it, it, you know, I think it's important. I think it really is important because it, it doesn't really matter whether you're playing in, in, in early 90s or where you're coming through now. I mean, the the ingredients need to be there. You've got to be keen. You've got to be hungry. You've got to be strong. You've got to be big heart. You know, all of those things are, are really, really important. Whilst I think trying to enjoy and understand what it's all about. Yeah. Brilliant. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I um, just want to go back to that 24-year-old, Stu, yeah. on the first year, second year on tour. What, looking back, what advice would you give to yourself now? Um, treat it as a job. <laughs> Expand on that then. So well, I, I think, I think, I think, just um, you know, it, it's it's not a rocket science. I, again, I was I was sort of swept up in the whole excitement of it all. You know, there I was, and with these guys that I've been watching on TV, and and you know, you you. I, 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 I can remember, I, I used to go down some days and, and I would watch these guys hit balls for two, three hours on the range, just watching them. And I, and I think, you know, in some ways, that's not a bad thing. Mm. You can learn a lot through, you know, especially me, I'm quite visual in how I learn. Um, and, oh yeah, I better, I better hit some balls. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, um, Who did you enjoy watching the most? Um, Fowler was good. Fowler in what, was, on the range, or yeah, just just how just how he went about his day to day stuff. Um, Sebi, um, also good. <laughs> um, as 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 you'd expect, and and you know at the same time I've seen Sebi. And it's very worst, you know, which is very sad to 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 witness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
you know, I, I looked, I, I looked at all those guys that I used to follow on TV and Wizzy, Langer, Lyle, just used to go and watch them hit shots. I mean, it was phenomenal. Um, I bet. Going back to how would I treat it as a job? I, I think, I think just, you know, if you think about it, you know, I'd, I'd gone from playing in the region to suddenly being thrusted right up at this, this highest level of European golf. And, um, you know, it's a little bit like going into a new business venture. That's how I would describe it. You know, you've got to have a bit of a business plan. You'd have it mapped out. How would I do it? When would I do it? Who would I do it with? And yeah, not a rocket science, but I think, you know, that little bit more um, structure would be how I would do it differently. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, that, that that's with hindsight. I, um, you know, would I have been a good pupil in those days? I think that's the other thing you've got to ask yourself. Would you have had as much fun? <laughs> um, yeah, of course I would, because I just was passionate about the game. That's good. That's, yeah, uh... it wouldn't have made any difference to me. You know, I would still would have been up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> ready to go. And, I... you know, I think back over the years, you know, you go out the first day, you shoot 75, 74, 76, and you, bloody hell, here we go again. You know, it's going to be a tough old, you know, and, and you, you you do, you wake up the next day and you're just ready to go, mm. ready to go. You know, I can still go out there and shoot 68, 69, 67, make the cut. And that a few times over the years um, and vice versa. <laughs> How did you like mentally... Obviously, you talk about people having psychologists these days and, you know, they've got a team. And I guess, like, you shoot 76, you go back to your hotel room a bit pissed off or whatever. And how did you, I say, motivate? You're clearly an extremely passionate guy. The more I talk to you, like, the passion is oozing out of you. But what did you have any, like, techniques or to, to you know, to, to flip the coin to come back with the 67 the next day? No. Because when I joined the tour, there wasn't any psychology. You know, but, if, 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 you, if you were working with a psychologist in, in when I joined the tour in 92, you'd been seen as a fruit bat. Yeah. You know, so there, there, there is something about the game that has massively changed in the last 25 years. Um, everybody's doing it now because it's normal. You know, back then, oh, it sounds so he's 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 working with us. Oh, he must be mad, you know. Yeah. And and it, it was, you know, I can remember the boy. They used to joke about it, and and <clears throat> so, you know, it, it was very much at the embryo stage in 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 those early years. And there probably was, you know, Faldo. I'm sure would have been working with somebody, and and I think quite a few other players would have been working with somebody, but it would have been very, very discreet. It would have been very much under the radar, hmm. I think, because of, of, of that. And then, you know, as time's gone by, just it has expanded and people have accepted and embraced it and, and realised the importance. And it's just normal now, hmm. absolutely normal. So, um, no, I didn't have any techniques other than, right, tomorrow's another day, let's go and give it my best shot. Is that like as simple as it is? Because my, I'm trying to understand, like, I get how things have changed a lot 
from yeah. everyone on the psychologist. But the mindset hasn't changed that you've got to still go out there the next day with a new mindset or a clean mindset that you go again. And that's essentially what, you know, well, I, mean, to help I, I, I think I think you know for me is that yes we 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 understand <clears throat> that the okay you you might have made and and I have experienced this myself um funny enough the first time I played with Faldo um so I I mean Faldo by his standards played very poorly mm-hmm. Uh, at the Belfry, which is a tough track. I mean, no one takes the Belfry apart, to be honest. Um, and, you know, he was here, here, he was left, right, not a million miles off the golf course, but just not his pristine exemplary self. And not one shot phased him, nor did he change his routine, nor did he really show any emotion. So everything from the first tee shot to the last tee shot stayed the same and the last putt stayed the same. And like I said, by his standards, he played poorly, I think. And he shot three under. Wow. And I played first 10, 11 holes beautifully and I just was getting frustrated and more frustrated. And it got the better of me. So there was he sort of slightly right, slightly left, up to the green, chip and putt, da da da, and then suddenly three or four holes later, bang bang, birdie, and this is how it went for. And he shot three under. I shoot, I think four or five over. Blythe Platchy played beautifully. Came off the golf course, and you know, you go to your room, you settle down, and you give yourself fifteen minutes in your man cave, and you come out of it, and you go and have dinner, and and then during dinner, I, I can remember saying, right, tomorrow I'm going to play like Nick Fowler. That is my objective. So I'm simply going to take every shot as it comes and it's, it's value and what it means. And if it doesn't come off, it doesn't matter because, and I shot 66 around the Belfry. Now to give you an example of how good 69 was, if it had shot four of them, he would have won the tournament by three shots. Wow. That's how good 69 was. So 66 was... Yeah, I mean, I, I, played, I played pretty much the same, but my, my approach and my management of myself was very much thinking of what Faldo had. And that's why I said it was the best golf lesson I'd ever had. I love without, that. Without any words. And yeah. um, I think um, if you were given advice to somebody... You know, your, your routine and, and your approach is never going to change, really, unless you've been very bad the previous day in terms of your approach and how you've, how you've managed yourself. But let's assume that you're going to manage yourself exactly the same. The great thing about the next day is a blank canvas. You can express and you can achieve on that canvas whatever you want to achieve on that day. You know, yesterday's canvas has got nothing on today's canvas, it's, it's blank, it's there, it's fresh. So you yeah. can, you know, we've been there loads of times, you know, the amount of times 74, 64 or 73, 60, you know. It, so I think it's, if you can just get into that mindset, right, it is a blank canvas. Now it's still gonna approach the round of golf in exactly the, 
the right way, one shot at a time, thinking correctly, being very observant of where you want to be, how you want to do it, and, and all that. But it's a blank canvas. There, there are no rules. Doesn't mean it's going to be the same picture as it was yesterday. So, Actually, um, you know, I think that psychology lesson there is just phenomenal. And you, you clearly were very aware of yourself to and, and of Faldo to to be able to flip that around. It's, it's a powerful thing to do. Well, like I said, it was it. it it was the best golf lesson I'd ever had without any words. Absolutely. Love it. Because he, he didn't say he didn't say one word to me in that round. Really? Oh, not, not, not in between shots. No, nothing. Fanny was unbelievable. She she did everything. And it, you know, it was not a problem because we all knew that's how he was. And I played with him um when I play with him second time. I can't remember. And it was exactly the same, exactly the same, because I think internally for him, he was still very much competing. Right. And that's how he competes, which is fair enough. You know, we're all different when we're on a golf course. You know, you've got Nick Fowler that says absolutely nothing. Lee Trevino, you couldn't shut him up. You know, so <laughs> again, I think, you know, everyone has their, their level of what they want to do and how they want to give themselves um, to the opponent or to, to your playing partners, however you want to describe them. Um, and then the third time I played play with Fado was in Dubai. And I think at that point, he, I think in his own mind, I don't know this to be true, it's just my, my take on it, because I wouldn't say you couldn't shut him up, but I'd never heard, well, he was, he was chatting to you, talking about <laughs> drumming, he was talking about this, he was talking about that, completely different. Completely different character. And then not long after that, retired and gone into TV. So, hmm. Do you enjoy his commentary now? Uh, well, I don't watch a huge amount of golf. Don't you? No, no. Um, I would, but I think <laughs> um, we, did, we, we did have Sky and, and, and we got rid of Sky. I was watching too much sports. Got you. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do, I, I do like to view it a lot. Um, I think the punditry—you've got to be diplomatic, haven't you? You've got to be, you've got to be careful as to what they say. Um, but like I said, because I don't watch a lot of golf, I couldn't really give a fair comment on who's good and who's bad as a, as, as a pundit or as a commentator. Fair um, enough. To be honest. That's fair. Going back to um, you mentioned Seve. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a cool Seve story. He's my, you know, my idol. Like I just love him. Well, Tiger's my idol, but Seve's up there as well. Um, so tell me, uh, did you like play with Seve or have you spent time with him? Tell us some cool stories. Um, okay. Well, I've, I've never played with Seve. Um, I've um, I've had three experiences with Seve all off the golf course. One was on a chipping green. Um, Steve Webster was there, definitely I can remember that. Myself, Seve, and he was in the bunker and he was pretty much orchestrating everything and showing us what to do. <laughs> um, and he, he, he showed us this shot of where you, you cup and uncup left wrist. Um, so that, that was pretty, pretty good to have a personal lesson from Seve. And without question, I'm actually reading a book at the moment, Jane, Jane Seekman. 
Okay. Yeah, you know him? I've heard of that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should, you should look into it. It's, it's quite an interesting read. Yeah. And anyway, Siegman had an older brother who played on the, on, on the US tour. And his older brother got very friendly with Seve. And they used right. to play a lot of practice rounds together. Anyway, James, the younger brother, used to do a bit of caddying for his, his older brother. And from that, he learns what is whatever the right technique is to chip, but he's now put this into a book. And so a lot of his stuff that he talks about is based around Seve okay. and on videos that he had taken from Seve over the years. Yeah. So to have that experience of being one-to-one or not quite one-to-one because Webster was there definitely and a few others, I can't remember who it was because it's such a long time ago, but he was just unbelievable. That's class. Unbelievable. Um, second Sevi story was in Qatar. Um, we both made the cut on the same score and um, come down to the hotel reception out to the foyer waiting for the courtesy cars to come and pick us up. Sevi's there, he's not, he's, he hasn't said anything. And um, this, this courtesy car comes up and it's Sevi's personal car <laughs> allocated for him only for, for that week. So he jumps in and he, and he says, oh, do you want a lift? I said, okay, Sevi, thanks. So jump in with Sevi. Nice. Now Sevi was a very inquisitive person. So he was always asking questions and this, that, and the other and everything else. So we're now in this, this courtesy car. And from memory, it was, it was a Ford. So he was asking the driver, he said, oh, this Ford looks amazing. What's it like to drive? Da, 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 and so on and so forth. And the, the driver was asking the, uh, answering the questions. And he says, hmm. He said, when I, when I get back, I think I might, I might get one of these because I think this is a fabulous car. <laughs> and then we got on to golf. So he, he looks, he look, turns around, he looks at me and he says, um, so, so how's it going? I said, well, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I've, um, you know, we've made the cut and, um, you know, looking forward to the weekend and so on and so forth. And, he, and, and then he turns around to me and he says, who are you working for? And I said, well, I'm working for myself, Sevi. What do you mean you work for yourself? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a player. <laughs> he said, oh my God. He said, oh my goodness. He said, I thought you were a caddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that that was that was um, my second uh, my second experience with Sevi. A funny one when I look back at it. Um, I did mean, he, why, did he carry why, on the chat after that? No, yeah, he was fine. He was absolutely fine. But you know, why would Sevi or why would he know me? So I, that that's the funny side of it. And then the third one, which is probably my favourite, because Lee Thompson, as you know, a very very good player in our region, one of my yeah. pupils. Um, we both qualified to play at the PGA at Wentworth. So we get down to the range and Sevi, because Lee had seen this and, and, and Lee is a huge Sevi fan. He's no question his idol. Okay. So Sevi's now playing in front of us in a practice round. So we get down to the range about 45 minutes before teeing off. <clears throat> And Lee says to me, he says, come on, let's go and watch Sevi. And I said, yeah, fine, that's great. Let's go and watch Sevi, why not? So we go down and we're watching Sevi on the range. And this is when he was really struggling. Okay. And he's gone through the bag, okay? <laughs> not missed the shot. Beautiful technique. Well, not quite beautiful technique, but 
just looks great. Great rhythm as he as he had tempo, everything about it. And, and he didn't. He did not miss a shot. Went through the bag, and then um, he leaves the range, goes down to the the uh, putting chipping green, and, and Lee says, "Come on, let's go and watch him." I said, "Lee, we haven't warmed up." He said, "Don't worry about it." We just so I said, "Okay, fine." <laughs> so he went down to the putting green. He's chipping. He's putting, and then he walks over to the to the first tee to take his practice round. He says, come on, let's go and watch him tee off. I said, okay, Lee, let's go and watch him tee off. So we walk around to the first tee and we're standing literally three, four, five yards, slightly behind him to the right. And he turns around and he walks over to Lee Thompson's bag. And then Lee in those days had a beautiful set of McGregor blades. And he pulls the eight on that, puts it down like he does. And, hmm. That's very nice. Nice club. Puts it back in, pulls out the six iron. Hmm, that's beautiful. What club? McGregor. Oh, fantastic. McGregor. Fantastic clubs. And then he puts the six iron back in the bag and he looks down the bag and he looks at Lee and he says, Hmm, you Lee Thompson? And Lee says, Yeah. He said, That's a cool name. And walks <laughs> off. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Lee Thompson, that's a cool name. Coming from Sebi, the king. Yeah. How good is that? Oh, that's brilliant. So yeah, there's 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 three of my Sevy experiences. I love it. I love it. Mm. It's great to hear these stories. What about um like you mentioned uh Faldo or or Monty? You must have you played with Monty or got any Monty stories? I've only, I've only played practice rounds with Monty. So yeah. um no 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 real Monty stories other than as I said, spending about seven or eight hours on a plane. Um, over to to Australia from Dubai. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, he was talking a lot about his golf course architecture and bits and bobs and everything else. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's all I can say with Monty. I mean, I was fortunate enough to share the podium with Monty at the PGA. Okay. In um, 2000 and whenever that was, 2001 maybe. 2002 um so i qualified through the region to play there and i finished top of the regional players okay oh, so um i had to be part of the presentation which was amazing so there you are at, at wentworth on the 18th green the grandstand that's full and um me being obviously the the novice of the bunch um i was called out first so pga uh, winner me out onto the and it was so funny because it, it was looking like it was it was going to lash down with rain okay so they they gave us an umbrella so I walked out under the tunnel onto the 18th green of this big arena and of course I've got my brother everyone started laughing at me which was <laughs> so funny and of course then I, I think Darren Clark finished second uh Coltart was second and I think there was there was a three-way tie for second. I can't remember who the third person was, I think. And of course, Monty won. So Coltart came out with his umbrella, Darren Clark with his umbrella, and then I think there was a third person tied second. Um, and then, of course, Monty. So that's my other Monty story. I, I've shared the, the winner's podium on the 18th green that went with at the PGA Championship. Love it. That's cool. You yeah. didn't have to do a speech. No, no, no. Fortunately, well, no, I'm, I'm okay at making speeches. No, no, I mean, they don't want to hear from me. Monty, Monty was the winner of the tournament. I was 
tagging along un, under the PGA banner. So um, I'm just pleased to be there and, and, and to have a good finish. Because I've, I've always found Wentworth very difficult, funny enough. Um, it's a long course, it's tough. It's not that, it's just swirly winds. I just find it really difficult to decision-making and visualisation and all those things. So, you know, to, to, to actually... A couple of rounds in the 60s, which was nice. Uh, 268, I think. 68, 74, 75, 68, I think. I shot. There we go. What a yeah. memory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. If you were um, completely honest with yourself, mm -hmm. is, are there many golfers out there who strike it better than you on the range? You'd have to ask someone else that. No, I'm asking you. Come on. Uh... I know people watching me hit golf balls. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're no, too. No. You're too modest. Exactly. That, you, that... you. You know. You strike the ball very well. You hit the ball exceptionally well, and it's up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that. That. That's. That's. That's me. I'm. I'm very modest, and um, it, it's not for me to to blow my trumpet. Never has been. Never will be. I. I know. I know what I'm capable of. I know what what other people think of me. Of course, I do. Hmm. Um, but it, it's it's not it's not what it's all about. Um, there's there's a lot more to being a good golfer than than hitting the ball well. Of course, there is, and um, it just helps. Um, and I'm not saying for one minute you you don't have to hit the golf ball well to become a good player because I, I i strongly believe you do you need ball control that's that's paramount mm. and a good understanding of ball control and a simple understanding of ball control so i think if you if you have one of those three components then then you're on you're on the right road then it's down to big heart big balls um good head um good passion good will so yeah, I, I, I yeah I know, Bali. I, I know that I strike the ball, and have struck the ball well. And I know that some of the best players will watch me hit golf. I know that. I know that. But it's it it it's a uh, it's just one of the ingredients. Definitely, one of the ingredients. So yeah, of, of course, of course, not many people would strike it better than me when I'm at my best. But it it's. It's collectively, isn't it? it, it it's the whole package. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I know when I, when I look back at some of my results, um, yeah, I, I can be up there with, with, with them, of course. Absolutely. Hmm. But that's for someone else to say. It's not for me. It's not for okay. Me. Let's talk <laughs> about um, other areas of game. Now, you, you said you're very aware of how what people say, and you, you'll be aware that people say... You know, if only good putt or yeah. pattern was better, right? That's what you know. That that's what people say, and I, I, it's interesting. I've you know I've worked with you a little bit, and I've looked at your putting stats from two thousand and five, etc. And when you're on tour, and I, I often think some of the old stats are quite misleading because they say that you know you average one point eight putts in a round, which means that you're crap at putting, or you're that's one of the worst. But also. You were, I think, in 2005, averaging 13th 
you were 13th best ball striker as yeah. in hit the green. So you're not going to, so you're going to have more putts. Yeah. What's your, how, how much of that, like, let's talk about your putting openly. Like what, how much of that is true? How much of being a good ball striker means that you're not going to putt as well? Um, well, uh, let, let, let's start with the, 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 the stat elements. I mean, if, if you're a phenomenal teed green player, um, and you have a good putting day, as we know, if you looked at some of the results over the years, you know, if you look at Tiger, if you look at Ernie, if you look at um, Monty, you know, if Rory, I mean, if Rory puts half decent on his tee to green game, that's good. I mean, they're queuing up, aren't they? They're queuing mm-hmm. up for second place. Um, Absolutely. You know, so I, I think it's, it's very simple. I mean, if you hit a lot of greens in regulation, and if you're a reasonably strong player, as I was, so I, I, you know, I could hit most par fives in two. And if you if you if you're playing well, you're going to hit you're going to hit you know a reasonably good percentage of those par fives in two. So two putts is a birdie. Doesn't look great on the stats. No. Um, you know, how many times have I broken 30 putts playing well? Not many. But, you know, respectively to a golf score relative to a tournament is, is fantastic. Um, I think, yes, categorically, definitely a, a weakness, no question. Um, going back... I think, I think clutch putts. I think clutch putts are key, aren't they? Mm. I think they're key for for tournaments. Um, you know, is is that down to technique, or is that down to a bit of will? Is that down to a little bit of passion, wanting to really make the putt? Um, and again, stats stats when I came out on tour were were they just weren't there. No, um, you know, the coaching just wasn't there, and. You know, I just need to hit it better. And if I hit it better, I'll score better. So, again, the philosophy of the game has changed massively um, over, over the years. Um, yeah, I, I mean, go back again. Of course, I would you, – you would do it very differently. I mean, the interesting thing is um, – I'm, I'm probably aware of this. I mean, I've been putting right-handed for the last two years. Um I think if, if, if I was to go back again, start all over again, I'd, I'd probably putt right hand from day one. Hmm. I really do. Did, did you, were you a bad putter if you like from left-handed from day one then? Would you say you're not a bad putter? But not? I wouldn't, I'd, I'd say I'm <sighs> streaky. Streaky. The thing is, you're not a bad putter, like your Sam Putlab numbers. So no, you're exactly. very good. Yeah. Uh, I've got Brian Huggett's Sam Lab numbers and they're bloody awful. Yeah. Really? So like, it's not all, as you said, it's not all about technique, right? But. Well, there, there you go. So again, I, I think that there's a little, there's a little, um, there's a bit of a message there about, you know, when you, when you start competing and I think that, um, 
getting into that clutch zone, you know, that, that final putt to make, to get, to hold. Um, I think this is what the very best players do. They, 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 it goes way and beyond technique. It's just the pure vision of that ball going in the hole. So again, I think there's another, there's another topic there. Oh, um, it's a massive, you mentioned it and went with visualization. We'll come on to it on putting. I think, you know, we can. Yeah. Because yeah. um, look, I mean, we've all been there. I mean, I've shot 10 under three times. So I can't be a bad putter, can I? No. Um, you know, I've shot some pretty good numbers over the years. I mean, the, the two tournaments I won, I shot 19 under and 17 under. So, you know, I, golf. I, you know I, I know I'm not going to hit every par five in two. So, you know, I'm holding my fair share. Um, mm. I think it, 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 it's, it's um, you know, those, I mean, Tiger, phenomenal. That's yeah. that, like, will, wills it in, like, exactly, Sebi. Exactly, Sebi. I mean, you know, Sebi's technique wasn't great, was it? No. But there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, Luke Donald, I got, you know, technique-wise, I think number-wise is not, not fantastic, you know, but, but these, there's the passion. There's, there's this Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, you know, Jack Nicholas, you know, there's the, but there, there's this, 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 um, this vision, this, this ability to, to see it happening. And so, um, John Sharkey, that's probably a name you're not familiar with. It isn't. No, he was um, a, a golf pro in Bournemouth. Very, very good player in his day, John Sharkey. And um, I can remember a certain couple of guys who were having lessons with him. And he used to say exactly the same thing. Will the ball into hole? So I think there's there's... There's definitely a, um, yeah, you need a reasonably sound technique, of course, a reasonably sound, whatever that is. Yeah. What's a reasonably sound technique? I mean, one that works. One that repeats. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, if you look to someone like Gary Player or, or, or Bobby Locke, um, Jack Nicholas, you know, they're, they're, they're all sort of these individual type of, and who's probably the best putter in the world now? You'd, you'd know this. You should know this. Define the best. Sorry? Define the best. Well, who, who, who would you say currently is is the best? So I think Jason Day's putting has been class the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I would say that sort of mid-range putts, Spieth is, is the one you want. Um, but I think they're all very good. There's not a lot between them, you know. If yeah. if, if you would say like if I had a ten foot putt, who would I want to hold it? It'd probably be Tiger. Although yeah. on one leg, it might be a bit difficult. I'd probably still give it to him. It's probably still hold it. Well, for me, it'd be Tiger or Seve. Yeah. Um, see, Monty. See, Monty was uh, always classed himself as a bad putter. Rubbish. I mean, I think like Monty. Westwood, yourself, put you three in the same category there, right? Of you hit a lot of greens. Yeah. And, you know, you can even say Adam Scott, you know, you, the people, I think that mentally, because you're not holding as many, because you're further away from the hole than, than most. Yeah. 
you, you, you mentally think you're worse, but you're actually not. Do you do you use, like, with munching and counting putts, like, it's the worst stats in golf. It should just be scrapped. No one should ever, ever count putts, in my opinion. Um, do you stroke gains? Do you strokes gains? I, 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 I think, you know, for me, it, it, it's about... Um, If if I if I was if I was really gonna do stats, for me it would be about putts hold in yardage groups. Yeah. Or footage groups. So yeah. let's just say let's just say you're striping it, you know, you're you're absolutely striping it and you're banging it within 15 to three feet virtually all day long. Now we know from five feet to zero feet. That's a high percentage, isn't it? Yeah. We also know from five to 10 feet how it quickly... It's less than half. Less than half, you know, so 15 feet. So it, again, I think it, it it's about being realistic, you know. So you could be playing, you could be playing okay, but you're hitting it to 25 feet all the time. You're just not quite fizzing with your eyes. You're hitting a lot of greens, but you're not quite fizzing. Um, so for me, I, I, I would almost, you know, how often, how often do you get guys coming into you and say, um, oh dear, I'm putting terribly at the moment. Well, what do you mean? Oh, I had five, three putts. Oh no, actually I had six, three putts. Yeah, but okay. So you had six, three putts. Now, why did you have six, three putts? Well, holes one, seven, eight, nine, 10 and 11 was 40 feet away mm. and the wrong side of the hole. Well, what do you expect? Yeah. You know, so again, I think I think the stat element, you, you've got to be able to break the stat element down. And that's you where know? strokes gained comes into its own, really, I think, because you're right. If you can you can miss every single green, chip to a foot, or inside three foot, or inside five foot, have 20 putts and think you're class. Well, no, you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, because I mean if 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 you because you're only going to probably shoot level par. At best. Yeah, which is rubbish. Yeah. You know, for me, a good player is going to shoot five or six under with 29, 30 putts. Yeah. That's what class is. <coughs> and, and, and so, again, you know, if, if, if you think about the putts gained... Um, let's just say you hit every shot to 12 feet. Yeah. For a birdie opportunity. That's world-class. That's world-class, isn't it? Um, how many putts are you going to make? 30%. There you go. <laughs> 30%. So that means you would be five and a half under par. Correct. <clears throat> That's world-class. That's world class, isn't it? <laughs> that'll get that'll get the job done. But that's assuming you're going to hit 18 greens. Yeah, to 12 so foot, let's, which let's, is let's, let's take a really good round of golf, okay? And you only hit 14 greens in reg. That's a pretty good round of golf, 14 greens. Yeah. Um, but you're fortunate enough for every every green you hit, you hit it to 12 feet. You know, 30% of 14. 
still good golf. 60s. And then and then and then you don't make up and down on the other, you know, fifty percent of the other four holes. You don't make up and down. Yeah, you're only shooting two under. Yeah, and you've played well. You've played pretty damn good. I think the average birdie putt length on tour is seventeen and a half feet. Yeah, like so. So twelve foot would be a good ball striking. That's that's a Stewie Little ball striking day. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, may, may, maybe, but I, I think um, <laughs> you know the, the the stats element is you know it's, it's a little bit like fairways hit. I mean, fairways hit. What what what, what does that mean? You know, sometimes sometimes it's better to be off the fairway. Well, especially if you're short. You know, and you start talking about dog leg angles. Yeah. You know, so let, let's just say you're a reasonably short player. Um, you've got a dog leg that's left to right. And there's some trees down on the right-hand side of the dog leg. And you've hit it middle right-hand side of the fairway. Find that tree. History. Yeah. You, you've got to hit it left rough, left semi, mm -hmm. to give you the angle. So this, this is now where you, you've got to, you, you've almost got to take... 14th of Ross, that is, you've just described. Third hole on the evening at Minch. Exactly the same. Is it? Can't. You know, you, you, you've, on, on the evening, okay, um, so dog leg left to right, you've got tall trees down the right-hand side, you hit it, you hit it middle right-hand side of the fairway, reasonably short hitter, you're blocked out. You've got to hit it left semi. Yeah. Have the perfect angle. So, hmm. You know, certain golf holes, you 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 you've got to get away from a stat, and you've got to think about where you want to be on a golf course and which to make the best score. Stewie, there's so much wonderful stuff here. I'm just conscious of your time. Like, well, I can, uh, I, I can half, go on all night. Don't worry about it. I know, I know, I know. But what I'm thinking, half I've not asked thirty percent of my questions. I've asked. So let's let's do a part two. And we can go into course management, we can go into coaching philosophies, we can do some more stories and uh, I'll, um, yeah. It'll be my, be my pleasure. I've uh, really enjoyed that, Stuart. I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I look forward to, to part two and hearing about your your next sort of career step on the Seniors <laughs> Tour. Well, th thank you for having me. And um, I, I, I look forward to um, to the second meeting. <laughs>